Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not just much, Joshua. I know it was just preseason, but, man, it was good to watch some football again, especially after the NFL totally teased us the week before with that whole Hall of Fame game fiasco, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, speaking of preseason, um, I want to. I thought we'd just talk about Billy Volk the whole, whole podcast. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I mean that because – I. I feel like Billy Volek was just the preseason quarterback back in the day, and uh, he was obviously never anybody. So before we get all too excited about Dak Prescott, who we're going to talk about in the Q&A this week, or are these other rookies that uh, did, just remember, it's it's just the preseason. And uh, the guys they are uh, catching, you know, five or six targets against are probably going to be sacking groceries, Kurt Warner style here in a month. So just, just be uh, be wary of uh, over over indulging yourself and making some light up moves. Um, speaking of light up moves, I think I maybe got rid of Charles Johnson for the Minnesota Vikings too soon. Sounds like he's looking pretty good. But anyway, uh, any any regrets so far? I, I I didn't cut him. I traded him for like a, a sixth round pick just to just because I was done with him. But now it looks like he's he's moving himself back into the rotation there for the Vikings and had a hell of a camp. So. Lesson learned. Uh, any any regrets so far, Nick, this summer? Um, not so far. Uh, I usually wait till the last minute to do my final roster cuts, so you know, haven't had to worry about that yet. So looking good our, so far. Yeah, I thought after we did final roster cuts, we would introduce a new segment called "What the hell are you doing?" And it's like where we t- we we each just look at all the teams that we are in multiple or in leagues together with and be like. Why? Why do you have this guy in your roster? So that, that might be kind of fun. Uh, we have a great show for you today. Uh, Rhett Gramet Bauer, I hope my pronouncing that last name right, is going to stop by t- to talk to us about his new documentary called "25 Thousand Miles to Glory." Um, it came out yesterday. Uh, it's basically him and a couple friends got together in a VW bus and went to every NFL city during one NFL season. So, uh, and every NFL stadium, excuse me, during one NFL season. So, and it's the stories that go along with that. So that's, uh, that should be interesting stuff there from Rhett as we hope be joining us here in about 27 minutes. Uh, we're starting it out a hard today though, with, uh, the dynasty dilemma as we pit Josh Doxson versus Brashard Perryman, who, of course, could be doing a lot of the other things that we normally do. I have a four or against with uh, C.J. Anderson. A uh, whole bunch of dynasty trade analysis. Uh, like Rhett, like I said, Red will be joining us. Nick's going to take a look at our DFW staff draft and kind of break it down for us. And then, of course, uh, some bold predictions. 
but Nick had the chance to go first uh, in the uh, Dynasty Dilemma, so he chose the Redskin. No surprise there. Um, <laughs> uh, Josh Jackson, <laughs> what do you got for us, buddy? Well, yes, Josh Jackson is hurt right now. He's missing some time in camp and, you know, maybe buried on the depth chart. But at this time in 2014, you could have said the same thing about Odell Beckham. Now, of course, it's unlikely that Dachshund is going to end up as good as, as quite as good as Odell Beckham. But Beckham's tale is a precautionary warning to not overemphasize the player's first training camp when evaluating their potential. Oh, that P word potential. It's gotten many a head coach fired and landed many a fantasy owner in his or her league cellar. Just ask anybody who drafted Perriman last year in hopes that he would be an early contributor. Zero snaps due to injury last year. He's already had an injury scare this season. And the team added Mike Wallace to pair with Steve Smith. Uh, now, Mike Wallace has the speed that Baltimore was looking for when they drafted Perriman. Uh, the fact that they signed him, to me, signals a distrust of Perriman's chances to be an impact player. Now, Doxon is, for now, of course, behind Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon on the skin's depth chart. But both those guys are free agents after the season. And Doxon could be in a position to be the wide receiver one on a team with a solid, youngish quarterback in Kirk Cousins and working with a stud tight end in, uh, who, in Jordan Reed who can attract uh, safety attention. Now, you know, with rookie fever still a thing, Perriman may very well be a better value pick right now. But Doxon, I think, does have a greater chance at having a productive career. All right. I think um, we're going to hit on some of the same points. I, I feel like I might be throwing some of it back. Um, Nick Nick warned me that he was going to bring the hammer. I, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't feel it. Uh, but anyway, here we have two players to make yet to take a true NFL snap. Doxon has the leaping ability and, and solid hands to be a good red zone weapon. Perryman is a missile of speed with, with that 4.640 time, which was the fastest time for any first-round pick since uh, CJ2K. Of course, I'm talking about Chris Johnson. Uh, they both also are currently blocked by some veteran talent. Neither stand a chance at being the team's leading receiver this season. But down the road, I feel Perryman will rise up as a true number one, while Doxon will remain a red zone specialist. I just don't see him as a top target getter in an offense, in that offense, especially considering uh, Jordan Reed being such a key piece. Now, not that there's anything wrong with scoring touchdowns. I've said it many times that Doxon reminds me of Devontae Parker, and as much as I love both of those players, it's clear they are complementary players, much like Alan Hearns is to Alan Robinson. But who uh, – excuse me, but who – who is, who is the wide receiver one in Washington, you ask? Well, remember how Indy nabbed Moncrief, nabbed Moncrief and Dorsett prior to signing Andrew Luck to that major deal? Well, I believe Doxon was one of those will surround you with targets kind of moves for Kirk Cousins. So Reed is locked up and Doxon was drafted, essentially making both of them Moncrief and Dorsett. That doesn't exactly make Jamison Crowder T.Y. Hilton, but he could be Jarvis Landry Jr. So I throw that in there. Uh, after... All of that, Doxon is the second-best option on Washington next year, and I believe moving forward, with Reed being the top option and Doxon potentially battling another drafted wide receiver in 2017. Perryman is raw, but with the help of Mike Wallace and Steve Smith, who, let's face it, could both be go- will both probably be gone next year, he could become a complete wide receiver. And I believe far better than Torrey Smith, who, who many people believed he would be a clone of when he was drafted by Baltimore. 
Not only is he fast, he is physical. And he is not, so far, not a prima donna like many first-round wide receivers. He also averaged a gaudy 20.9 yards per catch in his final two seasons in college. Uh, and he's not quite 23 years old yet. Doxon, who is drafted this year, will be 24 this winter. Perryman is also part of the Jim Tressman, or Mark Tressman offense, whose teams are annually in the top 10 in passing attempts. So I just love the future that Perryman has. Granted, the health scares are legit, but uh, I just, uh, just don't see it there with Doxon. Like I said, I think he's going to be a solid player. Alan Hearns kind of like uh, ceiling there. Uh, Doc, uh, Perryman, I, 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 just, I don't know where that ceiling is because we haven't seen it yet. Any, any rebuttal there, Nick? Um, I, I just, you know, you brought up all the injuries with Perriman, and that's, to me, the biggest red flag. You know, obviously the, the size and the speed is there, but if a guy can't stay healthy enough to actually get on the field, then he's not going to do much good to your fantasy team. Oh, yes, and I say this as a guy who drafted Perriman last year and <laughs> traded for him a couple weeks ago. So um, uh, that's, that's the moves you make when you're rebuilding, I guess you'll put it that way. Um Moving forward, uh, non, I forgot to mention this when I broke down the show early, but we're going to talk about some non-rookie sleepers. We already talked about rookie sleepers and rookie busts over the last couple of weeks. Um, just thought we'd give you a few guys that we think are people are probably sleeping on in drafts and could potentially have very solid seasons. So the uh, the veteran edition, for lack of a better not term there, Nick, what do you got for us? Who's the, who's the first player you're thinking about? Uh, first guy I'm going to mention is Ryan Tannehill. I mean, of course, he's not Dan Marino, but he's been over 4,000 yards each of his last two seasons, had 4,200 yards last year, plus twice as many touchdowns and interceptions last season. Uh, he's got Jarvis Landry as a good possession receiver. Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills are the big play guys. Uh, he, I've seen him ranked as low as in the 20s in some ranks. That's far too low for a 4,000-yard passer, don't you think? Yeah... Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I think this is a make or break year, and obviously being in the Adam Gase offense could be huge. I, I do I do feel he's limited in some aspects of his game, so I, I, I just – I'm not, not quite sold on, on Tannehill. It's good. I, I, I have thought long and hard about trying to figure out a quarterback we could talk about sleeper-wise. I just could not – could not come up with a good argument for one for one of them. I I wanted to go Teddy Bridgewater, but uh, um, but we'll see. I did I didn't. I, I'm gonna go first guy. I'm gonna go with is Justin Hardy. Now, obviously, everybody in the world loves Julio Jones. If you don't, you yeah, you probably like. You probably still kind of like him. Uh, me and Nick believe wholeheartedly in our heart of hearts that Muhammad Sanu is going to be a nice contributor there for Atlanta, especially considering he's opposite Julio Jones. That leaves Justin Hardy to to tear it up in the slot. And I think, um, you know, college stats could be misleading, especially considering maybe the level of competition. But Hardy caught over like 100 balls in college his final season. That's not a mistake. I mean, <laughs> I think that was actually maybe it could be wrong. It might have been an NCAA record the number of balls he caught his, his last year at East Carolina. And I just so the guy's got hands and he's got speed and he's physical. He's a little bit undersized, uh, but uh, especially this year, I think he could have a 
ha- have a breakout party if you know if Sanu isn't the player me and Nick think he is going to be. I think it, that's going to be because Hardy takes over, and I think well, that could be a, a real possibility. And, and I'm honestly not just saying this because I own many, many shares of Justin Hardy. <laughs> I, I feel like he's just could be the forgotten man there and uh, forgotten on uh, for both uh, – uh, both by opponents and potentially their coaches until all of a sudden he makes this big play and like, oh, yeah, we have this guy. We drafted him. Let's let's get him out there more. So that's uh, why so I like Justin Hardy. What else do you got for us, Nick? Uh, the next guy up is uh, Terrence West. You know, some reports say he's been Baltimore's number one running back in training camp. Now, I, you don't want to uh, buy too much in the training camp buzz and things like that. So, you know, I, I don't know if I would trade for him because his price is probably pretty high right now as far as compared to what it was a couple months ago. But if he's a free agent in your league, definitely go ahead and, uh, and sign him right now. Yeah, I don't know if I believe the Terrence West hype. I, I, you know, I think Baltimore just signed as many players as they liked. And, they, you know, one of those one of those things where you throw so much against the wall and see what sticks. And I I, I think he's sticking right now, but I, I I just don't know. He is still young, you know. We I was still a little surprised uh, that he you know Cleveland ultimately got rid of him, but uh, I just not sold on it. And I I, I I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm just not sold on uh, Terrence West. I saw people drop a tons of money for him because he's r- rumored to be their RB1. I think he's still got a, lot, a long way to go there. Um, I'm not trying to just discount all your sleepers, but uh, <laughs> that's why they're sleepers. Cause some, because obviously some people feel differently about them and, and Nick's, you know, Nick's picking out guys that he thinks could be, could rise up. Uh, I'm going to go with Charles Clay. This guy I talked about last week uh, as a potential player in our Q&A that could step into the top 10 tight ends. I, you know, I'll make a lot of the same arguments I made in the article. Look at the players around him: Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods. You know, he's not he's not amazing, but he's got experience and he's he's going to demand attention. I just, especially in the, especially with a quarterback like Tyrod, uh, that can move around a little bit. Jink and Dunk, uh, Clay could be such a safety valve for that uh, for that offense, and they have a, a, a huge running game that you must respect with. You don't know who's going to get the ball, but you know they're going to try to set a precedent with that because that's how how uh, Rex Ryan's teams have functioned, and I feel like they're going to take their shots with Watkins and Woods downfield, and that's going to leave things open up for uh, for Charles Clay. Uh, do you, Do you agree or disagree there, Nick? You want to rip me apart there? Um, I have a hard time investing in any options in the Baltimore passing game other than Tyrod Taylor and Sammy Watkins, but, but again, this is why they're sleepers. Uh, all right, what's the last one you got for us there, Nick? Well, I'm going to go to New Orleans where, you know, all the post, all the off-season hype has been uh, about the newcomers, Michael Thomas and uh, Kobe Fleener. But, you know, Willie Sneed actually had almost 1,000 yards last year, and he's going to actually uh, fall on drafts, I have a feeling. And I, just for this year anyway, I would prefer Sneed to Michael Thomas. Okay. Yeah, I like that. There's there's some buzz out there for Willie Sneed in the community, and I, I think it's warranted, you know, it's. I think the same could be said. I know Brandon Cooks isn't exactly Julio Jones, but he's certainly a guy that's going to demand attention. And Michael Thomas is is the hot shot rookie in camp, so that uh, that 
could leave things open for Willie Sneed, and we've we've seen him do damage. I I like that a lot. I'm holding I'm holding a couple shares of Sneed. I, I think he's more of a a, a best ball dynamite player, but I, I uh, and by that I mean a guy that's going to explode week to week, and you don't have to put him in your lineup. Um, so yeah, I like that one. I, I can go. I can hang with Willie Sneed. Um, I thought I'd go to the defensive side of the ball and just take a look at Kevin Minter, the middle linebacker for Arizona. Um, I said it before – I said it yesterday. I was on another podcast yesterday, the NFL Exporter podcast with Lance Goodman. I feel like Arizona's really going for it this year, and they're they're getting all their pieces in place. And Minter was a guy that finally got a chance to start last year. He started the full 16 games late, just just finished under 100 tackles. Not a, not a sack guy. Uh, but with those IDP guys, as Bill Latin reminds us here in his IDP uh, Blitz Pod here, the other one of our new podcasts here, that tackle ba- tackles are a great basis for IDP players. You want guys that are to consistently get tackles. And I think Minter is going to be one of those guys. He's not a guy that's going to win you a, win you a matchup, you know, because he's going to come out and make 20 tackles. But he's going to get his five to eight. And you, that's when you can – count on dependable dependable production like that um that's 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 money in the bank as far as i'm concerned and he's he's a guy that's probably you know like outside the top 20 linebackers but he's that middle linebacker on that team and they've they've really worked hard to get the pass rushes so that's going to funnel everything uh into mr minter there in the middle there for arizona so i really like uh kevin minter there uh to probably gain Probably gain on those stats there a little bit. A little bit of an undervalued player. Still a guy that's getting drafted. He's not getting totally disrespected, but I, I just I think people are sleeping on him, and that's that's why he's one of my sleepers. Um, time for four or against, and we have a wonderful music clip from from that brought to you by my now 13 year old son. Can you believe I have a 13 year old son? Isn't that weird? Do wow. I look so young still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for or against? DJ Anderson, right? It's time for four or against. segment we've been messing around with did philip dorsett last week um who did we do the first time around nick i forgot already <laughs> it was good yes. it was phenomenal Flips my mind too uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm sure i could find it in my notes but anyway cj anderson i have the foresight so i will go first uh I think he is in a prolific running offense, and he's a dual threat. Therefore, he's going to stay on the field. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, it seems like every year we say this is the year that C.J. Anderson is going to break out, but the guy's never had even 850 yards, let alone 1,000 yards in a season. So, you know, I'm a little bit wary. Okay. Amir Abdullah was our first four against. <laughs> Obviously, very <laughs> memorable. Um uh, I think he has an offense with great wide receivers, Demarius, of course, and Manny Sanders, who must be respected. Therefore, the running game can't be keyed on. 
Well, Ronnie Hillman isn't special, but he's still there, and C.J. Anderson has struggled in the past to beat out Hillman for playing time. The team's really gone back and forth between the two backs uh, over the last couple of years, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened again this season. Okay. Um, I think he knows what it's like to be in Ronnie Hillman and Devontae Booker's shoes, and I think he's also seen players like that, like Monte Ball, fail, so I think I think having good, healthy competition within your camp is brings out the best in all of those players. And I think CJ also knows what it's like to lose his lose his job and lose snaps to Hillman. So I think that's gonna uh, that's gonna really push him. Well, CJ Anderson's averaged seven or four point seven yards per carry the last two years, but I don't know how much of that is uh, him being really talented and how much of it is uh, Peyton Manning's audibles. I mean, you know, Manning has a the weakest arm in the league the last couple seasons, but probably still the best mind. And you know, he's as far as you know, seeing what the defense is lined up and changing it to a successful running play. I think that might have been Peyton might have had a lot to do with CJ Anderson's success. Okay. Sticking in the quarterback realm. I know the mystery of the quarterback situation um, is, is is huge right now in Denver, but I think that might solidify Anderson as getting 20 touches per game just because we don't, we don't know who it's going to be. And the, the, who it is is probably going to lean on the running game early. So I, I think that could be advantage Anderson. What do you think? Uh, maybe, but you mentioned the uh, fourth-rounder, Devontae Booker, there. He's another running back that's in the fold. This pro- probably steals some work away from C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I think the fact that Anderson had less than 200 touches last year, and he only has just over 400 over his three-year career, three-year career means – Although I always like to say he has just enough experience to be dangerous, but I also think this means he isn't uh, overworked and he's not going to uh, get worn down as the season goes on. Well, the, the way that uh, Denver's team is built, they've got a great defense, and you mentioned they don't have a great quarterback, though. So, you know, the fact that they have such a strong defense and lack of quality quarterbacks could mean a lot of games that end up being 13-10. to 10. That's, That doesn't leave a lot of touchdown opportunities for Anderson. Okay, well, I think that was it. That was all. So we'll uh, let you guys decide there. Um, I don't know who we're going to do next week, but that's that was a good one. I think. Um, ooh, I think we actually we're going to do Thomas Rawls next week. I think that's a good one. So uh, um, we'll we'll talk more about that as I decide uh, the dilemma. But you guys know next week, obviously. So I'm going to have Rhett join us here in about eight minutes, uh, but let's get to uh, one of our many dynasty trades, Nick. Um, first one, uh, some absolutely massive ones. This is going to be the two first round edition of the dynasty trade analysis. Uh, Matt Jones, Michael Floyd, two 2017 first for Kenneth Dixon and Amari Cooper. What are your thoughts there? Um, to me, it's the two uh, first-round picks that make it too high of a price to pay for uh, Mari Cooper and company. Uh, Matt Jones should be at least a one-year workhorse uh, running back. Uh, Michael Floyd is a eight to nine hundred-yard guy every year, while Cooper only had about two hundred thirty yards more than Floyd last season. Those numbers obviously should improve for Mari Cooper, but should and will are two different things. So, two first-round picks is just too steep a price for me to pay. Yeah, you know it's. 
it's one of those things that seems like it makes sense to get Cooper and Dixon if you're rebuilding, but why are you giving up the two 2017 first? There's also a 2017 second thrown in there with the Cooper Dixon side there too. So getting an, another pick back, but uh, it just really, I guess it depends on your preference and Cooper, Cooper kind of, you know, struggled to at the end of the season, had a hand injury and um, was warned about the rookie wall. And he certainly, uh, certainly hit it there. And I, I I like the Raider offense, and I think they're going to be good. But I, I, compared to what I think Michael Floyd can do in the next couple of years, to what Cooper's going to do, I think I think I would probably lean the Floyd side just because you get those two extra first round picks. And looking at Dixon versus Jones, we we've already established that it looks like Terrence West is going to get himself some carries. So Dixon's certainly going to be in a running back by committee with. Buck Allen and Justin Forsett in, in the fold there too. So who knows what we're gonna kind of production we're gonna get out of Dixon. Looks good in the preseason game the other night, but we'll see uh we'll see what he what he can give that that, that offense. The one thing that I think he does is probably a very probably probably a good pass catcher, probably the best pass catcher in that offense. I know Forsett's been pretty solid, but I think uh Dixon Dixon might be better than him when it comes when push comes to shove, so I'll probably lean to Floyd Jones' side as well because those two first rounders, um, Deshaun Jackson, and the 2017 second for Greg Olson. First, I gotta tell you some of the basics behind this one. Nick mentioned sometime last week, I think, that he would trade Nelson Aguilar for Philip Dorsett, just because I, I think I mentioned something along that lines. Um. Now, I don't think we had the, the pairings for that, but I was going to still try to trade for Nelson Aguilar anyway. But then, of course, DGB gets traded, and I have no idea what to think. Uh, but anyway, so I posted I, – I was trying to think, get people's feelings if I could, see if I could get this out of Nick, if I could get Deshaun Jackson in the 2017 second. Or excuse me, if I could give Nick Deshaun Jackson and get Aguilar in 2017 second. Would you have accepted that trade? last week and or would you be more inclined now with another wide receiver in Eagles camp sorry to get off subject no 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 uh, it, it would be one I would definitely give a lot of consideration to uh, I probably would not do it just because I'm not a big fan of trading uh, future draft picks at least before the season starts I like to kind of hold on to those in case I have a you know imminent roster hole that I need to fill due to injury during the season so uh, the value the value is pretty fair, I think, but I probably wouldn't do the trade quite yet. Okay, so this one's kind of like that. I posted it on Twitter and somebody asked me this one, so I thought I'd throw it in the show. Uh, Deshaun Jackson and a 2017 second for Greg Olson. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I love Deshaun Jackson in best ball formats, but I really don't – I'm not a big fan in other formats just because he's so boomer bust week to week. So I think, it, you know, I would easily trade him straight up to get Greg Olson. Uh, if I was in trying to win now mode, I would throw in that second-round pick. But if I'm in rebuild mode, then I would not want to throw in that second-round pick. So this one it just kind of depends on uh, the team or the owner's strategy at this point. Yeah, and I would like to think if you're getting rid of Greg Olson, you probably have other options, younger options that tie in, which uh, which makes sense. And but I, I would like to think that the person that's given up Deshaun in the second is certainly uh, in win now mode because I think Olson's going to be a very solid player for probably the next uh, 
next couple years there for uh, the Carolina Panthers. Um, Allen Robinson and Ron Parker for Kelvin Benjamin, Byron Jones, and two 2017 firsts. What do you think there, Nick? Well, this is another trade to me where the two first-round picks are just too much for me to give up. Uh, you look at Allen Robinson's numbers, jumped from under 550 yards in year one to 1,400 yards, uh, went from two touchdowns to 14 touchdowns. You know, I like him, but I just doubt that he reaches those uh, those numbers again this year. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin also probably isn't going to be as good as his rookie year, but, again, those two extra first-round picks, that's just too much for me to give up. Uh, yeah, so I think this was Bill Latin in DFW 36. Um, you know, I think Allen is a legit number one, and we just don't know what that, what that cluster is going to look like in Carolina when the season gets going. So, I, um, you know, when you go out there to get those two, those two first extra first, extra first round picks, I mean, I think you have a plan in mind and, um, you know, is he, is he gonna? What's he gonna get with those two first round picks? Is he, is he gonna get the next Allen Robinson? Maybe, but it might take that guy two or two or three years. You know, it took Allen Robinson a year to get past the injuries to be a, an effective player. And I, I, I do feel like Allen Robinson is a legit number one, probably a top five wide receiver in this league. Maybe top six. I'm not really looking at everybody right now here, but uh, I just don't know what we're gonna get out of Benjamin, and that's that's a huge mystery right now. And if you have two you know, some extra first, a couple extra first to give to get a to get an elite player. I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. So I I, I got a, I got some concerns about how Byron Jones is going to uh, play safety there. I just I don't think he's a a solid enough tackler to play free safety right now. And I think it's going to be have quite the learning curve this season at least. So um, Kiaris Garrett in a 2017 second for Carlos Williams in a 2017 fourth. What are your thoughts there? And what's the, what's the news on Carlos Williams? Is he uh, suspended or getting in trouble? What's going on there? Um, I could be wrong, but I think Carlos Williams is out the first four games. But uh, either way, you know what? Yeah. I actually love this trade. Uh, Carlos is such a wild card to me right now that I say this is a completely even trade. As an as an owner of Carlos Williams in a few leagues, I would accept this trade if it was offered to me. And in other leagues where I don't have Williams, if I needed a running back, I would probably offer this trade. So, you know, I like it on both sides. Great deal. Yeah, you're getting that second second-round pick and then – you know, throw another wild wild card. I think this is another Bill Latin trade, a wild card of uh, Kiaris Garrett, who knows what's going to happen there with him. So I think he could be a, you know, it's again in the same Carolina wide receiver cluster. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Garrett looks looks to be doing all right there in camp. We do have uh, Rhett on the phone, so I'm going to patch him to here. One second. Rhett, are you there? I am here. Okay. Um, I said your last name earlier, Red, but when you want you pronounce it for us and tell us all about your project here, twenty five thousand miles to glory. Sure. Uh well first off, thanks for having me. My name's Rhett Gromit Bauer and I am the uh author and director of Twenty Five Thousand Miles to Glory. It's a uh, project where we went to 
every NFL stadium in 16 weeks using my uh, 67 VW bus named Hail Mary. Um, and we really kind of turned the experience not necessarily onto ourselves so much as it was uh, the fans of each team. And we kind of wanted to uh, live the life of a 49ers fan for a day or an Eagles fan for a day and see what that was all about. So um, the the documentary just uh, is, is our journey around the country trying to get this old VW bus uh, to work sometimes and the people it brings into our lives. And then the people we meet at the stadiums and in their homes and who just talk football all the way through. Okay. Well, yeah, we, we appreciate you joining us. The film came, came out, I believe yesterday. Is that correct? It, it's on iTunes and it's on Google play as of yesterday. I, it's supposed to be in a bunch of different uh, other places like Amazon and PlayStation and Xbox, but I don't have release dates yet on that. So, but yeah, you can find it on iTunes and, and Google play right now. Awesome. So like you said, um, one, one VW bus, all 31 stadiums, and you did it over the course of the season. Um, was it the 2013 season? Is that correct? It was, it was the 2013 season. It's taken us a while to put everything together. Uh, the way we wanted to and write a book about it and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was the last year of the Metrodome, the last year of Candlestick Park. So that was it was good to uh, good to see those old stadiums before they were imploded. Okay, you said last season of the Metrodome, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Wow, that's that place was uh, some. I don't know. If, I don't know if I liked it. I, it was the worst place to watch baseball ever. It was it was okay for her for football because that's what it was built for. But uh, well, not, you, not, you mentioned you, you mentioned that, and that's part of the reason why I went on this trip because you know I'd always seen Kirby Puckett and uh, the Twins, you know, with Jack Morris, and I'm thinking this is just a magical place for baseball. And you know, Tony Dorsett's 99 yard run took place there, and uh, you know, all those great games, and it, it was just something I had to see before it was gone forever. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, here's why it was bad for baseball. You know, you, if you if you've been to the new Twin Stadium, sorry, I, I live in the area. It's actually built for baseball because it's a baseball stadium. But if you sat down on the third base line in the dome, you would look at the center fielder like you didn't. You had to like turn your complete head and body uh, to look at home. <laughs> it just that, was not not very fun. I guess that's that was the. Uh part of the uh, multi-use stadiums and the and the problem with those I guess is it's, yeah. it's not really it's not really good for either one necessarily so uh but yeah I yeah. never we were in we were in Minnesota in November and so the Twins had stopped playing but um that is definitely a baseball stadium I have to get to because it looks it looks awesome on television yeah it's quite quite the place um but enough about baseball what uh, what uh, the, what the one question i have to ask right away the thing that i immediately thought of this i'm kind of a i guess you could call me a foodie i don't like that term but where where was the best food yeah i can i can't answer that question for you because we were uh, either broke or on the verge of being flat broke so eating <laughs> eating like a 15 dollar hot dog wasn't wasn't in the budget for us i know i mean I know we had some really good pizza in Chicago, obviously, but as far as stadium food goes, um, the one thing I can say, the Black Hole Tailgate in Oakland had the best uh, fajita tacos I've ever eaten. So <laughs> if, you, if you're in – I mean, Oakland's kind of a, a different place to go to, uh, but if you're there, go by the Black Hole. They're the greatest people on earth, and uh, they will give you everything you want as far as food goes. All right. 
I'm, I'm a Raiders fan, so I'm game for that. Um, what you some of the things mentioned in the trailer is just I think there's a, a line about you know just what what it was like to hear each stadium just kind of erupt over one simple moment. Can, can you talk about that at all? Yeah, it's uh, you know we ran into a lot of good games. Um, so the, the, the even in Jacksonville, which um, I mean we were there late in the year, so there weren't a lot of people there. But it was just exciting to get caught up in other people's teams, and when something great happened for them, you know, we found ourselves cheering as well. Uh, Kansas City is a great place to watch a game. Arrowhead is extremely loud, and everybody's wearing red, and so it's just kind of uh, you just kind of soak it all in, and you can't help but uh, be part of it. And so, but it, but it's like that, you know, most everywhere you go, and and uh, one time. <laughs> This is not a good eruption. This is a bad eruption. But the uh, we were in St. Louis watching the Rams play, and they had handed out James Laronitis T-shirts. And so uh, I think it was Sam Bradford who missed a wide-open guy for a touchdown. And almost in unison, they took off these white T-shirts and just started throwing them towards the field. So you had all these. It was like everybody <laughs> figuratively throwing in the white towel on the Rams uh, franchise in St. Louis. So that was kind of that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Nick, did you have any questions there for Rhett? Well, you mentioned you got to see some of the older stadiums like Candlestick Park and uh, and the Metrodome before they got torn down. It's always seemed to me that uh, teams are in way too big of a rush to replace their current stadiums with brand-new facilities. Uh, did you see, did you notice uh, from your perspective anyway that these uh, the older stadiums appeared to be more run down than the newer places, or do you, do you think you know they still could have gotten a few more years? I think Candlestick Park. It, it was. It was. Um, it suffered from a few things. Uh, one, it was terribly difficult to get to and from, and so th- that made the experience kind of bad. Uh, as far as, but the stadium itself was good. The corridors were narrow. Um, the Metrodome, I kind of liked, uh, but you know, it, that's just my opinion. Jack Murphy Stadium will break my heart if they ever let go of that stadium because that I mean that is San Diego to me. That's those are the Chargers and that was Dan Fouts and all those guys. Um so yeah, and especially uh I used to live in Atlanta for a short time as a Falcon season ticket holder and the Georgia Dome to me seems seems more than fine. Uh and they've uh, I think their new stadium's uh is built next year, it opens next year. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, what's what's wrong with with renovating if you have to an older stadium just to keep, you know, that going. And then you look at you look at like Soldier Field, and I think the, that renovation uh, might be one of the worst in the NFL um, <laughs> because they they just didn't stick to the tradition, and it just doesn't look the same to me. So. Well, with all these new stadiums, uh, I guess you'll have to make an, a second film, and we'll get you uh, get you some funding and a, and a per diem for food, right? <laughs> yeah, we need a per diem for food. I may not take the bus. You may not want to go with us again, but uh, yeah, there's two there's two stadiums now: Minnesota, of course, that opens this year, which I'm really excited to see, and then uh, the one in Santa Clara, which is. Uh, uh, Levi Stadium, I have to go to, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'll probably wait till next year and make make Atlanta all the same all the same trip. There you go, there you go. Um, another interesting thing that I kind of got from the trailer is it's 
talk, obviously you spent a lot of time talking with the fans. You talked about that earlier and just kind of, uh, you know, getting their experiences of the, of the, of their team and their stadium. Can you, can you maybe just talk a little bit more about that? It seemed to me watching those trailers, you have some people with just like just these massive emotional attachments to their team and their, their, their city. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, their, their teams mean something different to everybody. Um, Part of it is childhood, and part of it is, you know, I, I used to watch these games with my dad, not wanting to go to church with my mom. I wanted to stay with him and watch the game. So it, it, and to some people, it's um, a family member that maybe isn't there anymore, uh, family memories, um, just childhood memories. And then um, some of these people, it gives them uh, a sense of empowerment or they come alive because of their team. So, like, Titan Man, I believe, is in the trailer, and he kind of morphs himself into this superhero, and now that, that gives him power when he goes to the Titans games to to tell people, you know, when to cheer and what to do. And that we've got a leprechaun in the film from Denver, and he's kind of the same way. He transforms himself from this ordinary guy into this leprechaun and um, eats up the attention and gives directions and so it's, you know, and then we talked to a guy in Oakland that really didn't have anybody. Uh, it sounded like in his biological family that he connected with and uh, he identified with the outcast image of the Raiders and, and that sort of thing. And then the black hole just kind of took him in and, and he described it as being his family. And, um, you know, and I see on Facebook where he's hanging out with those guys. And so, you know, our teams mean so much. Uh, even even the woman from Baltimore who talked about the Colts leaving and what that felt like in the city because they didn't have football for a few years. Um, it, it's it's unbelievable what it what it means to people. And you know, the Browns is a good example too. Uh, we asked we asked them if if it weren't the Browns, if it was a different team, would that still be the same? And they were like, no, it has to be the Browns. It had to be the Cleveland Browns. Otherwise it just wouldn't feel the same. So it's interesting. Yeah. Sounds like it definitely. Nick, do you have any other questions there for Rick? I was just wondering if you had a favorite among the team's uh, pseudo mascots. You mentioned like the Leprechaun in Denver or the Titan man for Tennessee. Any, any particular favorites or were they just so individual and unique that it would be hard to, to name just one? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to name who my favorite fan was because I probably don't have one. But the most unique experience was walking the parking lot at Jack Murphy Stadium looking for a a trailer with a San Diego Chargers flag on top of it, which there's like 100 of them at least, And uh, because we wanted to interview the Charger King. And every time we called him, there was a woman that answered the phone, Charger King's phone. So we never spoke directly to the Charger King. Um, and then it was it was just this kind of bizarre interaction. You can see him at the end of the trailer. And so uh, we ended up answer, asking this random person where the Charger King is. And uh, his only question was, how do we even know about the Charger King? And so he led us into the trailer. He knew where the trailer was. And uh, just sitting in this guy's trailer, and he's got shoulder pads and football pants on with pads, and then he's got the Burger King mask on and he won't take it off <laughs> and we're just talking San Diego Charger football with this guy and it's like oh my god you know this is this is fantastic this is even uh this doesn't seem real 
And that was the first weekend of the season, so I was like, this is <laughs> beyond beyond what are we in for? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay. Um, well, that's all we have for you, Rhett. What, why don't you just tell people once again where, where they can find it and where they can find you guys on social media, and you have the website as well? Yeah, so the film is called 25,000 Miles to Glory. We're on iTunes and Google Play right now, but we'll be on – most other major VOD platforms very soon. The uh, website is 25kmilestoglory.com or nflroadtrip.com. And then you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram um, at 25kmilestoglory. And uh, we premiered the film in Canton, Ohio uh, on the 4th, and you guys can see all the pictures from the premiere and see some of those fans uh, that we were talking about in those pictures. Okay, and if you click on uh, 25,000 Miles to Glory in the write-up here for the podcast later today, you go right to their website, and you click on Rhett's name, and you can go right to the trailer. So thank you so much for joining us, Rhett, and uh, we uh, will look forward to watching the film. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Great stuff there from uh, from Rhett Graham. uh, I think you said Garment. Bauer, excuse me, I'm sorry to, to butcher his name. He, I'm sure he said it beautifully because it's his last name. But look forward to watching that film. And like you said, you can you can find it on iTunes right now. So don't uh, don't delay, or you can click on his name later and check out that uh, check out that trailer because it is is interesting stuff. It just it's it's it tells a great story of the NFL and probably a story that we don't hear too often. You know we. Often the NFL is in in the news for the wrong reasons because some idiot player did this or smoked that, and uh, but this is about the fans and what they have made out of this this experience and how passionate they are about their team. So, uh, good stuff. We were in the middle of dynasty trade analysis. Um, Keenan Allen, Will Fuller. And a 2017 third for Richard Matthews and a 2017 first. What do you think there, Nick? Actually, I think this is two, this is two 2017 firsts. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh that's okay. Um, so, you know, the two firsts. So, Will Fuller was a first-round pick in this year's uh, rookie draft. So, that kind of cancels out one of the first-round picks. So, basically, we've got Richard Matthews in a first for Keenan Allen in a third. Uh, I, I just think Keenan Allen is a target machine when he's healthy. So I would definitely vote for the the Keenan Allen side. Um, interesting note: this one is another Bill Latin trade from DFW sixteen. Um, the same person, obviously, that traded Keenan Allen, offered me Keenan Allen for Corey Coleman straight up. Or yeah, that's what it was: Keenan Allen for Corey Coleman straight up, and I, I didn't uh, didn't get to respond to it in time. And, and bam! Like when I got to it, Bill had given him two two first round picks. Um, I yeah, obviously Richard is just a, probably a throw in at this point, but I think Allen is certainly worth the two first round picks, even considering uh, that you're getting uh, you're getting Fuller and a two and a, and a 2017 third back. I think that's that's pretty quality there. And like I said, you can do what you want with those two with those first round picks, if you're able to garner them or gather them and get extra ones, uh, that's how deals get, that's how big deals get made. That's how you get premier players in your lineup. So, uh, I like, it. uh, so I'll take the Allen Fuller side as well. Uh, Des Bryant for Kevin White and 
Devontae Parker. This one I pulled off of Twitter, and I thought it was pretty interesting that the white Parker side was won 62% of the vote. What do you think, there, Nick? Um, I think it all just depends on uh, what, what your team strategy is. Uh, if you're in win-now mode, definitely you would make this trade for Des Bryant. Uh, if you're deep at wide receiver, again, you might want to make this trade for Des Bryant. But if you're rebuilding then or short at wide receivers, then you would trade away Des Bryant for two young studs like Kevin White. Two young possible studs like Kevin White and Devontae Parker. The, the future upside, of course, lies with White and Parker. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I don't know. I still think you're taking a risk by trading uh, a marquee player like Jez. I think he is a, certainly a, a, a top wide receiver in this league. Um, it's it's hard. I mean, it, it's obviously you're getting two nice young pieces back that, you know, that potential word like we always talk about. But I, I was just a little surprised by the vote. I figured this would maybe be a little bit more uh, 50-50, but I know – Twitter, draft Twitter loves Devontae Parker and Kevin White's gaining a whole lot of steam now too. So did you hear uh Des Bryant come out and uh endorse his wide receiver two there in Terrence Williams this week, Nick? Um, I didn't, but it doesn't surprise me. I wouldn't be a very good teammate if you weren't gonna endorse, endorse your <laughs> other teammates, right? <laughs> uh well yeah, apparently according to Des, he's having a he's having a hell of a camp and they are they're going to dominate the world. So, um, much like Miles Austin and Terry Glenn back in the day. But uh, I think Des is probably better than both of those guys. But uh, oh, I loved Terry Glenn was such an ace in the hole for me fantasy wise for a couple of years. I love that guy. Uh, Lashawn McCoy and this is also from DFW sixteen. Lashawn McCoy and Frank Gore. Excuse me, Lashawn McCoy for Frank Gore and a 2017 second. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I just think there's so many running backs there in Buffalo that McCoy is going to get his carries, but he's not going to be a 25 carry every week type of running back. So uh, the fact that, you know, Frank Gore has less competition for touches, uh, even with his age, I would prefer uh, Gore to McCoy just for this season. And then the second round pick on top of that, uh, I think makes it a pretty good uh, long-term trade also for the side of acquiring Frank Gore in a second. Yeah, I think this, I think this deal makes sense. I, I, I think, you know, regardless of all the players there, I still think even if he's not getting 20, 25 touches, I think he's going to lead this team in touches every week there. So uh, with McCoy, uh, this deal makes perfect sense. You know, Gore could retire at the end of the year. So you're getting basically, you know, almost kind of like a, a free agency uh, compensatory pick there with that uh, second rounder. Uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see where it ends up. You know, one thing to men- you want know, to keep in mind is this being a 16 team league, you know, if this is second round, that could potentially, you know, be like the 30th overall pick in a rookie draft. So it's not necessarily as as high as you think. I don't, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to land, but uh, it's, you know, that's a potential mid third in, in other in other smaller type of leagues. Uh, Carlos Hyde, uh, this is one of our uh, questions here that we get submitted via email. Carlos Hyde. Cameron Artist Payne and a 2017 third for Latavius Murray, Keon Drake, and a 2017 first, and an excuse me, a late 2017 first and an early 2017 second. What do you think there, Nick? 
Well, I, I think Latavius Murray is a safer uh, pick this year than Carlos Hyde. Uh, on the other side, Artis Payne is definitely above uh, Kenyon Drake, I think, right now, but not by enough to give away a, a first and a second rounder and only get a third back in return. So uh, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, with the side picking up Murray, uh, Drake in the first and second. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of Carlos Hyde hype out there, and I I, I still need to see it before I'm going to you know, before I'm going to move that type of thing. I think, I mean, I took Hyde and Murray in a, in a RB heavy, like a RB, you know, like a 0.25 per carry league back to back. So, I mean, I, I feel like they're pretty similar players. I think, um, I think artist Payne is certainly a, a nice, a nice handcuff, but, uh, that's, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to lean the Murray side there too. I, I just don't, uh, I don't trust that Carlos Hyde's going to be the man. I don't, and then uh, you're just getting, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like a fair deal, but I just, I still got to lean the side that gets the first and the second there just because I think there's a lot more value though, even though it is a late first. Um, ooh, it's time for Nick to take a look at the DFW staff draft. What, uh, what do you got for it? Well, I'll start off with uh, some overviews. Uh, two quarterback flex league. So uh, Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, uh, Wilson, and Rogers all went in the top 13. Um, Rob Gronkowski slipping all the way to the second round, 2.02, even though it's a uh, 1.5 PPR for tight ends. I think that was an absolute steal. Uh, look at the running backs. Todd Gurley, 1.03. Zeke, uh, 1.09. Adrian Peterson, 2.04. And David Johnson, 2.07. If this draft was 10 years ago, those guys would have all been top five picks back when running backs dominated the first round. Uh, another surprise, uh, Devontae Parker going over Jarvis Landry surprised me a little bit. Um, overall grade, I think I'll go an A. You know, it's a scoring system that I've never been a part of, but, you know, is mostly DFW writers involved and pretty awesome superhero team names. And, uh, you know, there was no picks where I thought, well, what the heck was that owner thinking? So the overall draft is an A. Uh, I will say it probably could have been an A plus since it was kind of a comic book themed team names. If uh, Team Carl had spelled his name more like uh, Rick from The Walking Dead pronounces it Carl, that that would have been more fun <laughs> for him. Probably probably would have made it an A plus. But uh, anyway, I'm gonna go uh, for the team grades. I'm gonna go. Uh, Team number one, the team to win this year, I think, is the Silver Surfers. Uh, you know, if you're in win-now mode, you need running backs. Uh, this owner got Foster, McCoy, Rawls, C.J. Anderson, Blunt, Jonathan Stewart, uh, quarterback Tom Brady, Blake Bortles, Jay Cutler, wide receivers, got Antonio Brown, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, Julian Edelman, and uh, the tight end Delaney Walker's 264 points last year would have been this team's second most uh, among non-quarterbacks. So I think the Silver Surfers are in great position to win this year uh, as far as the long-term team uh, you know it seems like usually one owner goes 100 percent young uh, but that was not the case in this uh, in this startup draft uh, for example the adrian peterson owner also has ezekiel elliott so uh, i think you know long term i would uh, probably say we are Groot is in pretty good position uh you've got rob gronkowski should have a good three to five dominant years left. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, Laquan Treadwell, Tajay Sharp, and of course Des Bryant. Those are all solid young receivers. Uh, the quarterbacks are a little old with uh, Philip Rivers and Carson Palmer, but uh, the owner did pick up Jared Goff at quarterback. 
the, the rookie in, in L.A., so should be pretty set there. Uh, and the orphan team that I would want to pick up other than those two, I think I would go with uh, Speed Kills. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyler Lockett, Sterling Shepard, Michael Thomas, Dante Moncrief. That's a great young wide receiver core. Uh, Clyde Walford, Eric Ebron, and the rookie Tyler Higby at tight end. Uh, running back, got David Johnson, uh, Tevin Coleman, Cameron Artis Payne. Those are three running backs with great potential. Uh, David Johnson and Rashard Jennings can carry the load this year. Uh, and then a quarterback, Paxton Lynch, and, of course, the future NFL MVP, Kirk Cousins. So got got to go with that team for the, uh, an Oregon <laughs> team I would pick up. Um, well, you mentioned – you did mention my team in there just a little bit. With the, I am the guy that went – uh, an AP back to back in the first two rounds. Uh, I also thought we we have an article coming out about this. Everybody kind of wrote about the, the, the that uh, that draft as a whole, and I was also all over the Silver Surfer team. I think he's got the I think he's got the best chance to win right away. Um, did you look at my team at all? I'm the I'm I'm the tick. That's my superhero team name. Did you? Do you have that uh, I, purpo- I purposely did not uh, look into any of the names of the owners of the teams. That way I could make it completely unbiased. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was hoping you would go that route. So. Um, I wasn't sure, though, because, you know, it does say, I think it does say some first names here and there. But, uh, yeah, um, it, was a, it was a fun draft. There was a lot of trades, probably the most trades I've ever seen in the startup draft, and, and a few here and there. I traded back a couple times. Um, Bill Latin really made me mad by taking Derek McKinnon. Um, Allen took Darius Jackson, my, my Greek handcuffs. So that's how it goes. It was, it, was, it was probably, like I said, the most trades, but it was probably like the hardest draft, if that makes sense, because it's like every time I made a pick, because I mean it's you know it's a lot of the DFW owner guys and a couple one I think one guy from MLF that does a lot of graphic work for us. So it's just like every I mean all these guys are sharks. This is like a tough tough league, you know, much like DFW 36 and 48. So it's like every time I made a pick, I felt like I was just settling for this player. I was just like, oh, really okay. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> going a Deacon AP right away. I think with that you get the. 0.25 per carry. I think it's good to have two solid running backs. Where it maybe hurt my wide receivers a little bit. I think um, I think moving forward in future startups, I can I can afford to go, you know, wide receiver heavy in the first first couple rounds. Mix in a running back here and there. Of course, I probably have to do a running back next year, but uh, mix in a running back here and there. So I think it was it was a fun draft, but a very frustrating draft at the same time. Um, just end it with some bold predictions here. Um, I think Jeremy Hill will rush for a thousand yards, thus thrusting him back into the RB one conversation. Uh, but Gio Bernard is also going to catch eighty balls. Nick, is that even a possibility? What do you think? Um, I think it is, especially considering uh, the off season the Bengals have had, losing Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu. Uh, there's targets to go around definitely for uh, Bernard to to in, increase his catches, and you know Jeremy Hill is a very solid running back. So if they're going to use Bernard more in the passing game, that would you would think open up more opportunities running the ball for Hill. So I, I like that prediction. Okay. Um, and good news on the Tyler 
Boyd front, apparently uh, the injuries have already started happening for Brandon LaFell. Sounds like he has a broken bone in his hand, I believe, which is not good if you're a pass catcher. Potentially missing the first uh, four or five games, though. As, as far as I know for right now, that is that is the, uh, the rumor there. Um, next bold prediction. I said this a while ago, and I still want to stick to it. Um, Especially, I think, with the news of DeAndre Levy coming off the PUP this week there for Detroit. It's going to help on the outside. But to hear Whitehead's the man in the middle, um, I think he's going to be a top 10 tackler this season. I think I think he gets 100 tackles probably, and I think he's going to be a top 10 tackler overall. What do you think there, Nick? Um, I, I think that's a pretty uh, decent prediction. I do just want to go back and touch on the Brandon LaFell news. Um, there's been uh, conflicting stories because uh, something I read yesterday was that it was ligament, ligament damage, not a broken bone, and that the team expects him to be ready for uh, week one. So, uh, again, it's preseason news, uh, very fluid. Things change daily, it seems. So, uh, <laughs> something to definitely monitor, though. All right. Any thoughts on Whitehead there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he uh, could definitely be one of the top ten tacklers. Sorry, I briefly touched on that before going back to LaFell. But, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Whitehead, it's not a lock for being a top ten guy, but I think he's got definitely got a chance, yes. Yeah. As of right now, Brandon LaFell could go under surgery. <laughs> and some people are on Twitter reminding us that Tyler – Boyd is indeed a very good prospect. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, sticking with the Bengals, I suppose this should happen. This is going. I didn't even realize that when I wrote this. Um, if Gio's Bernard's going to catch 80 balls, that's not going to leave a whole lot for uh, Tyler. And Tyler, their tight ends, of course, Mr. Eifert and Mr. Croft. I think as a, as a unit, disappoint and barely combine for 50 receptions and 500 yards. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I think that's a great prediction, especially considering, you know, Eifert didn't get his uh, get his fantasy points last year from receptions and yards. It was mostly uh, a very, very touchdown-dependent type of player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he only had 52 catches for 615 yards last year, plus the fact that they're both dealing with injuries. I, I think, yes, uh, those guys are definitely in a position to disappoint their owners. Uh, yeah, and one more tidbit on Brandon LaFell. Looks like it is probably indeed a ligament, not a broken bone. I spoke too soon. Regurgitating news that I didn't write down. But uh <laughs> so I don't know what's what's worse. I feel like I feel like a bone break is easier to maybe uh not not necessarily easier to heal, but no easier to know that it is healed. So Tyler Boyd, be bullish on him, people. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, Eifert's already dinged up, and Crawford's hurt now, too, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, that being said, I still love Andy Dalton this year. But <laughs> uh, any any thoughts on the Red Rifle, Nick? Um, yeah, I still like Andy Dalton. I, I think he's proven enough uh, year in and year out to that even though he's lost some weapons, I think he'll still have a productive year. Maybe not as good as he had last year, but he should still be, you know, top 15 at least, which uh, a lot of people don't seem to give him that type of respect. Yeah, yeah, I think he's top eight. But anyway, um, 
that is all we had for you this week. Next week, we will have a four or against on uh, Thomas Rawls, and I don't know what the dilemma is going to be. We'll bring that to you next week. Uh, make sure you check out our other new podcast, the, uh, the IDP Blitz Pod with uh, Bill Latin and Chris Tubbs. And, of course, Luke Grilly has got his never-ending glory podcast on DFW now, too. So make sure you check that out as we're trying to hit all different angles of fantasy football as uh, the season is upon us. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Big thanks to Rhett. Make sure you check out that movie or at least the trailer, 25,000 Miles to Glory. Um, just Google search it if you, if you can't find the links or whatever, and you'll find a whole lot of stuff. Sounds like an interesting uh, trip, and look forward to watching the movie and uh, reading the book, too, as well. So, Nick, any closing thoughts there? Uh, nope, just looking forward to week two, and here's hoping that nobody's uh, studs get injured in the preseason. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will talk to you next week and have a great week. You too. Why?